Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa Idea in the 21st century. One hundred percent over racism. In this episode of the Iowa Idea podcast, I'm joined by Lavar Davis Kidd. Lavar, known by LD, is a poet, author, dance educator, musician, and fashion activist in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. He's the CEO and founder of One Hundred Percent Over Racism. LD is no stranger to the stage, having performed extensively in both dance and musical theater productions throughout the U.S. and overseas over the past 25 years. He currently serves as a staff member at Nolte Academy and as an adjunct instructor of hip-hop at the University of Iowa. When not teaching or choreographing, LD works as a licensed massage therapist and registered yoga teacher at Hands in Harmony in Cedar Rapids. LD shares his journey from growing up in Cedar Rapids to touring the world as a dancer to being a dance instructor at the University of Iowa. We talk about the leap he took early in his career moving out to Los Angeles and what brought him back to Iowa. I appreciated LD sharing his audition story and what he learned when a dance audition turned into a vocal audition and the importance of confidence. We also explore the power of persistence and the importance of seeking and asking for help. LD also shares the wisdom of Shakira in Zootopia and reminds us to try everything. It was an honor having LD join me on the show. I hope you enjoyed the episode. LeVar Davis Kidd, welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. If you don't mind for our guests, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, Matt. Uh, My name is LeVar Davis Kidd. I go by LD. Uh, I am a entrepreneur. I am an activist. I am the owner of 100% Over Racism that I founded about a year ago in the wake of George Floyd's murder. Uh, It is a apparel and social justice company that is really focused on giving back to the community. We have donated over $5,000 in the last year back to locally owned businesses. Uh, Those businesses are oftentimes owned by people of color. So we're really trying to give back to the community and move the conversation forward in regards to systemic racism in the country. Uh, I am also a writer. I am a poet. I am a choreographer and a dancer and a dance educator. So I've been doing that for the last 25-ish years and I actually put together a book about a year ago and it kind of got lost in the COVID times, but it's called Paper Planes and it exists. It's a collection of poetry and thoughts. Um, yeah, so that's a little about me. I feel like we could dive into a lot of those things and probably will. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And thanks so much. A lot of interesting things to to dive into. Uh, maybe backing up a little bit and just your your journey as a as a creative, uh, you know, with all of the dance, choreography, writing, poetry, education, social justice and activism. Uh, what was your first love when it came to to any of those? Oh, man, that is a great question. <laughs> I think I knew from a somewhat early age that I wanted to be in the spotlight. And I thought for a long time that that was through athletics. I was very involved in uh, middle school and high school uh, sports. I played football, uh, ran cross country and played football at the same time one year just to be crazy. I played soccer. I went out for baseball my senior year just because I wasn't done with high school and I just wanted to be around friends and continued to compete. But all while I was doing this, I was introduced to show choir and that kind of made me fall in love with movement that was different than the sports I was playing, but it still kind of encompassed this athletic nature. Uh, but I didn't actually get into any dance classes or anything until I was in college. So as a freshman in college, that was the very first time that I took an official dance class. Um, so, But leading up to that, I was doing a lot of show choir and a lot of musical theater in high school. And then that spotlight uh, attention that I was seeking shifted from athlete, athletics to uh, being in the performing arts. So with, with all that the performing arts can embrace and uh, even even the things that you were talking about with show choir and 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 theater. Uh, what was it about dance that grabbed you? Again, it just connected back to the athleticism that was seen in all of the sports that I was playing. But it was then put to music. It was then done with this idea of continuing to tell a story and storytelling is something that's always been really important to me. Um, yeah, it just felt, for me at that time in my life, it felt like when I wasn't able to say what I wanted to say, I could move in a way that expressed how I was feeling and it made it so my words moved. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Uh, and out of uh, curiosity, too, from a football perspective, what position did you play? <laughs> so in middle school, I actually was a heavier set guy and I played on the line. But then the summer between eighth grade and ninth grade, I did a lot of running and working out and I lost some weight. So I ended up playing linebacker my freshman year. My sophomore year, I played cornerback and wide receiver. My junior year, I played cornerback, and my senior year, I played strong safety. So I floated, but I got to this point where I was like, you know what, I wanna be on defense, I wanna do the hitting, I want to you know, stop the passes, and actually, it's a, a ridiculous brag because I'm well into my 40s, but I did lead the team in solo tackles my senior year. <laughs> right, right on. Uh, yeah, because I, uh, when I was in high school, I played football for a little while, and had a, a couple leg injuries, and then ended up running cross country. So I was just kind of curious too, because uh, there are not too many cross country builds that align well with football builds. Right. So and and doing both of those in the same season sounds pretty intense to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, place kickers is like really the only thing that I could think of that would be a nice transition. But yeah, it was it was me trying to figure out how to be as involved with as many things as possible and get into the best shape ever. So I would oftentimes right after school go on a run and then go to football practice. And it didn't last the entire season. I actually never competed in cross country. I only practiced yeah. because I was just too focused on playing football at the time. Great, great. Yeah, thanks for, for sharing all of that. Um, now, do you, do you still follow sports? Do you have a football team that you root for? I, yes and no. So my girlfriend is actually from from where you need to be to cheer for the Kansas City Chiefs. So she's actually from Hoisington, Kansas, and she is a huge Chiefs fan, and I've liked the Chiefs, and within the past, you know, seven months of our relationship, I've become a diehard Chiefs fan. I follow more sports when I'm with other people than I would ever follow on my own, because I tend to, you know, focus towards the creative side of things, and I try to use as much bandwidth on work-related things than I do on other things. And so sometimes it's hard to go, okay, here's my team. Here are the stats on the players because yeah. I have so many other things going on in my head. But yes, I am a Patrick Mahomes fan. I am a Travis Kelsey fan. I am a Kansas City Chiefs fan. And uh, yeah, I think that that's the team to be watching for a long time. Right. I was going to say not not a bad team to root for right now. I mean, just a fun, fun team to watch, especially especially Mahomes, just insane as a as a player. Uh, so, yeah. So uh, let's get back to uh, to your journey. Then you're you're doing more more dance. And then um, again, that that's kind of how how I was first introduced to you that like doing doing dance and choreography and then also the fashion activism which I, I, I really want to dig into later. But as you you started, you're still doing the the kind of the, the spotlight, the creativity, the expression um, and and the movement. What what kept you going in dance? I know you, you, you we started we started talking about it and then I jumped back to football. But I'm I'm curious because um, this is an area that I appreciate but can't do at all but i do i do know some dancers and uh i know that they are incredibly disciplined incredibly fit uh and uh love the the both the kind of i don't for lack of better terms of creativity and rigor that goes into dance so i'm just curious too on on uh it got a hold of you uh and and why didn't it let go yeah again it goes back to the physicality, the athleticism, the beauty of dance, uh, to be a strong male dancer and to be able to command the stage was something that just made it impossible to let go of. I still struggle with it. I've ebbed and flowed in my career of, do I continue down this path? Do I step away and get into a quote unquote, you know, real job or nine to five type of job? You know, because the struggle as an artist is real. There are seasons where I make very little money with dance and luckily I do a lot of other things, uh, but it's just something that's hard to step away from because now it's so ingrained in my body. Like I said, I went to the University of Iowa to pursue a, an undergraduate degree in dance. I actually was going for a BFA and 
there are some things that happen with uh, my family and funding and it made it hard for me to continue with school. I tried to work and put myself through, but ended up having to step away. And at that point in time, I had to make a, a decision about what I wanted to do. And I had received in a short amount of time some really amazing training at the University of Iowa. Uh, and at that point in time, I had a friend that said, hey, I'm thinking about moving to California. Do you want to go? And I was like, I don't know how to make that happen, but yes, because I want to be in music videos. That was the, I want to dance for Justin Timberlake, for Janet Jackson, for you know some of these amazing artists, and getting out to LA would be the only way to do that. So I actually borrowed some money from my mom, and we packed up a car and moved, and I had stopped in Las Vegas on the way to California and stayed with a friend who I knew from the University of Iowa. And he said, hey, are you going to audition on Thursday for Disney? And I was like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And he pulls out what now I know as Backstage West, which was a paper form back in 2003. Uh, and so he's like, yeah, there's an audition for Disney's California Adventure Park. They're doing in a, a show called Aladdin, a musical spectacular that just opened not that long ago. And they're already looking for replacements for the show. So that was a... Monday night, Tuesday morning, drove into uh, Valencia, California, because my friend uh, Justice and I were actually supposed to have jobs at this all-star gym. I was going to be coaching cheerleading. He was going to be coaching dance or uh, coaching gymnastics. And we got there thinking that we had these jobs lined up and they pulled us into separate rooms and interviewed us. And we're both like, we had so many phone interviews prior to this. This is the reason why we moved. And I left that interview just with a really uneasy feeling. So then Wednesday happened. I uh, was just basically came to the conclusion I didn't want to accept that job. I told my friend Justice and he's like, why would you not? And I go, there's just too much uncertainty with it. They couldn't tell us our schedule. They couldn't tell us what we would end up making. All of these things were just up in the air. And I said, I came out here to audition uh, and there's an audition on Thursday I'm going to go to. Randomly went out with another friend on Wednesday night when I was in Los Angeles and she said, hey, I just met this guy at this random bar who is in the show that you're auditioning for tomorrow. And so I was talking to him about it and he's like, oh, yeah, you'll love this show. You'll love the people. And then audition the next day had a great what I thought was a great audition. Uh, which I thought was just the dance audition. And then they said, and prepare your sides for what you're going to sing. And I was like, what? I didn't know that this was a vocal audition as well. I don't have anything prepared. So I think I ended up singing a whole new world at the audition. Um, and it was funny because I remember very distinctly at that point in time, especially, I knew that I had an okay voice, but I never thought that my voice was very good. I was like, I can I can hold a tune, but I'm not going to be a soloist or featured at any point in time. And so whenever it came time to sing, I would always kind of uh, hide within myself a little bit. And so the very energetic dancer that would be there would be completely different when it came time to sing. And the vocal uh, director that was running the audition said, whoa, 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 stop. I was just in the other room and saw you dance your butt off, saw you do flips and all this stuff. Where's that guy at? I don't care if you sing wrong notes. I want you to sell this. And so I was like, all right, here we go. And he goes, exactly. Did you hear how everything changed when you just added the confidence behind it? So from that point on, I was like, you know what? I may sing some wrong notes, but I'm going to give them the dancer 
performance and not just this kind of uh, reserved uh, singer audition that I used to give, which actually helped me all throughout the rest of my career. So, uh, but yeah, I ended up auditioning on that Thursday and they said, thank you. Uh, We don't have any openings in the show at this point in time, but contracts are up in two months and we will be in touch. I got a call the next day and they said, listen, we're waiting for a position in the show, a role in the show. So we want to put you on standby. Don't book anything else. And I was like, okay. And that next uh, Monday, they called me and said that someone had quit over the weekend and they needed me in the show immediately. So like, because I turned down this job and went with my instinct, I was able to get a job working at, working for Mickey Mouse, working for Walt Disney, doing the Aladdin, a musical spectacular at Disney's California Adventure Park. And it was an amazing, amazing time. I actually did that show off and on from 2003 all the way up until 2006. And they were such a great company that I would request the time off and I would go and I did the Radio City Christmas show uh, one year and then came back and my job was just there for me. Even years later, it was like 2010, I had reached out to Disney and the casting uh, agency and said, hey, I'm thinking about moving back to California. Are you guys going to have any auditions anytime soon? And they said to me on the phone, just let us know when you're back. You can come back into the show. Like that was the relationship. If you were good to them, they were so good to you. So that was like one of my very first real professional uh, experiences. I had danced shortly on a a cruise ship with Carnival Cruise Lines a little bit before then. Uh, So that was kind of my first professional thing. And then Disney was my real big first thing. Like I got to go to California and I actually did dance in a couple music videos for uh, some very unknown artists and you can't even find any of this footage anymore. So yeah. That is a, that's a crazy ride. I mean, it just like the, the ups and downs in that it's, it just sounds really, really intense. And um, then if, if I'm remembering this correctly, you've also been in uh, touring Broadway shows as well. Is that right? Yeah, just just one. Uh, so there was a point in time I had moved back to Iowa to Cedar Rapids in 2006 to go to massage therapy school. I've always had some knee issues from high school athletics. I had a knee surgery back in 1995. Uh, and so my knee always bothered me. And when I was doing the Aladdin show, there were just aches and pains uh, on a regular basis. And I kept thinking to myself, what else can I do that fits into all of the things that I've been doing, but will give me some time of not performing and still make some money. And so massage therapy school was always in the back of my mind, actually always since high school, we had a a show choir gathering and there was this one kid, uh, his name's Randall Holmes, who's actually a really amazing bass player. Uh, But he had actually read some massage therapy books. And so he was like working on people. And I was like, Randall, will you massage my shoulder? And I was just like, oh my gosh, that was like, and so I then was intrigued by that. And so that was something that was kind of always on the back burner. Moved back, was jonesing to perform, founded a dance company that became a nonprofit dance company. Uh, We provided scholarships for a lot of low-income families. We provided performance opportunities throughout the year. So it wasn't a studio. It was a performance company. We met one day a week, and we had a bunch of people from all over 
the Cedar Rapids, Marion, even Iowa City at one point in time. So was doing all that stuff. And I took a group of dancers to CSPS to see uh, a dance company. And this dance company was Edgeworks Dance Theater. After the performance, they did a Q&A and Hellenius J. Wilkins, the artistic director, founder of Edgeworks Dance Theater, uh, was answering questions. And I raised my hand and I said, how do I dance in your company? And he laughed and he said, well, if you're serious, let's talk. So we ended up emailing. I ended up going out to Washington, D.C. and auditioning for his dance company. And I said, listen, I have a life in Cedar Rapids. I have a dance company. I can't move, but I want to work with you. And he goes, I feel the same way. And we worked it out. So I was traveling for a week or two every month or every other month for about a year and a half. And then during that process was when I was also auditioning for In the Heights. So I had gone to Los Angeles to audition at one point in time. Uh, I then went to New York and auditioned at one point in time. And after that second audition, I ended up getting the call saying that I had been cast in the second national tour. And so that that at that point in time, I had told Hellenius, the only reason I would ever leave your company is to do this show. Because the show, if people have not heard of the show, go see the movie that just came out. The movie is slightly different, but it's still such a wonderfully beautiful like story of home, of finding what it means to be home, which I relate to on so many levels because I've always gone away, but I always end up back in Iowa because it's such a wonderful place. It's a wonderful home. Um, so yeah, I ended up in the second national tour of a Broadway show, and I actually toured for about six months, but then knee stuff creeped back in. And I had to leave the show early to have a knee surgery. Uh, and that sidelined me for a little while. And so I got back into dance by just kind of teaching some classes here and there. And off and on this entire time from 2010 until now, I've actually also been an adjunct instructor at the University of Iowa. So I'd come in and I'd do a musical theater class or a jazz class or a tap class or a hip hop class. Um, so I was always doing that. And again, such wonderful, wonderful people and a wonderful, wonderful establishment that allowed me to go out and do those professional things and then come back in. Because in the dance world, if you're doing it, that means that you're good at it, which means they want you to be teaching people how to go about doing those things. So, yeah, Thanks. I feel like I touched on the question and yeah. uh, several other things. <laughs> no, this is this is great. One of the things that I'm interested in, too, is um, when, when craftspeople teach and, um, one, a story I remember, uh, going back to sports actually is, uh, Mickey Mantle once described the most frustrating time he had in baseball was when he was hired as a hitting coach. And, you know, he was a naturally gifted hitter, uh, but what he found was he really struggled to make what was kind of implicit in his approach explicit so that he could teach. And uh, that that turned out to be incredibly frustrating for him. So I'm always curious to becoming a teacher, like uh, how how's it work for you? I mean, it sounds like you like it. Right. But and you've been teaching uh, and. I'm just kind of curious if you don't mind just kind of walking me through what that process is like doing doing the teaching side of that once you have students. Yeah, um, teaching is so rewarding and also so frustrating. 
and you have to find your lane. I have taught everyone and everything. If there has been dance involved in it, I've taught it at some point in time. Even things that I didn't know, I would figure out and I would teach it. I remember there was one time uh, with the show choir that I was trying to get in good with the show choir and they had been bringing me in for a couple years to choreograph the guy's number. And I kept going, let me choreograph something else. Let me choreograph something else. And they said, hey, our other choreographer isn't feeling super confident about this Irish step dance novelty number called Courtin' in the Kitchen. And I said, I'll do it. I knew absolutely nothing about Irish step dancing and I went online and I studied and I said, listen, the only way this will be good is if we sell it as though we are the best Irish step dancers ever. And that year, that was the one song that was talked about all across like all of the 3A show choir groups because it was so ridiculous. I had them doing all of these traditional steps in a very traditional way, but the song is a parody of that. But it was very, you know, just very rigid and it was so much fun challenging myself and trying to learn something completely new. And so I just always kind of figure things out as I go. Um, I fail forward and I still to this day take on things that I know aren't in my lane because sometimes I just have to make ends meet. But I know for a fact that like my age range that I love to teach is middle school to high school and college. Below that and above that, I sometimes can get frustrated. Like I've done a lot of work in community theater and oftentimes what happens in community theater is you get a lot of people who are really passionate about doing things, but they've never had any dance training. And so you're trying to give them not just choreography, but actual technical things. So you're having to teach them technique and choreography all in the short amount of time and get them to a point where they feel confident enough to be on stage. And that can be overwhelming. And then also little kids are frustrating to me to teach dance to uh, because they're just, kids are so full of energy and they want right. to be all this thing and like to get them to focus especially if there's some type of performance or something at the end of it all where you're like no we have to know this choreography and you're doing it full out but they're staring at themselves in the mirror or playing with their hair or whatever it just can be frustrating so it's taken me a long time to get to the point of like okay sixth grade to 25-ish, you know, it's kind of like my sweet spot. Yes, I will still do that other stuff. And I, I have to go in and take deep breaths before I step into a class. If I have like a workshop with younger kids, yeah. I don't dislike it. I just know the frustrations that are there. And so I have to work through it in a way. You need a little more patience, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I was just thinking sometimes when I've coached youth sports, now we're, we're talking probably like the more like the kindergarten through like fourth grade range. And uh, then once in a while, you know, both with like T-ball and soccer where, you know, all of a sudden a play, you know, like a ball's hit out there. What, what, uh, Joey's not, the, no, but, but Joey has a wonderful bouquet of dandelions and is really excited about it. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. My kids, I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old and they are playing t-ball and coach pitched uh, yeah. ball. And then they just played soccer and they're in swim lessons. And 
the first day of baseball, there was a coach that kind of looked at me because there are two coaches for my son's team, but only one for the other team. And the guy that was organizing it is somebody that I worked with when he was younger. And he kind of looked at me like, are you going to help out? And I was just like, I I want to, but I can't like not this age. (laughs) I don't want to be that dad that's yelling at somebody else's kid because he is sitting making a sandcastle in, you know, (laughs) so. Hey, when you were talking about uh, some of the, with the community theater, sometimes this uh, lots of passion, but maybe not a lot of competence or experience. Uh, just by chance, have you seen the? Uh, it was an old Saturday Night Live skit, but it was the uh, synchronized swimming. It was Christopher Guest and Martin Short. Yes, <laughs> yeah. that's what was coming to my mind. Is like they're they're talking about the precision and then just the. I'm not that strong a swimmer, right? And then they they cut yeah. to the pool and he has his life jacket on. <laughs> or the um, Chris Farley, uh, Patrick Swayze, the Chippendale. <laughs> Chris Farley had the passion. <laughs> he did, he did. Um, let's switch gears a little bit, if you don't mind too, because uh, we talked about it at the beginning and uh, you and I have talked about this in the past, but I want to talk about some of the social justice and fashion activism work. So, you know, we're, we're just a little over a year past the murder of George Floyd. And, and we've seen a lot of things come of that. But one of the things I uh, really appreciate is the work that you're doing. Do you mind talking to folks about 100% over racism, both, you know, kind of where that came from, and uh, just, yeah, just start to share that story? Absolutely. Uh, so I... Oh gosh, it's 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 a story that I've told so many times, but it feels like it it just happened because it's kind of been a whirlwind of a year and a half. Um, so there was a a few protests that were happening in Cedar Rapids, and I couldn't make it to the first one, and so I had posted on Facebook, "Hey, where is the protest this next weekend? I want to go." They said, "Oh, there's one." that is happening on Friday and then there's one that's happening on Saturday. I couldn't make the Friday one either, but I knew that I could make the Saturday one. Uh, So I'm sitting at home, getting ready, threw some sunscreen on, was getting ready to head out of the door and I go, I need a protest sign. And I looked and I happened to have a, a cardboard box, an old Amazon box, and I ripped that down, put the square piece on the table and kind of looked at it. And I thought to myself, I want to create something that makes sense for me as well. And so I I was like, 100% over racism, 50% black, 50% white. And it just like a math problem appeared. It was like this plus this equals this. It's like, here's who I am and here's my stance. And so I created this protest sign and I actually <laughs> looked at it and felt super proud of this like thing that I had just created because um, it seems so silly but I was like this is really clever like and so I took a picture of it and I sent that picture to my brother I have a twin brother who lives in Colorado and then I also sent it to my friend Cody who lives in uh, Des Moines and my brother responded immediately and he said make a t-shirt and I was like what I'm not gonna make a t-shirt I was like oh that's a that's a good idea I'll look into it I went to the protest, uh, saw some people I knew that are also biracial and kind of showed them my sign. And they're like, oh, that's really cool. Um, And then as I left the protest, I didn't want to take my sign with me 
because I was like, well, what am I going to do with it? So I just left it by a tree with some other signs that were sitting there. And then I got home and my friend Cody also had responded at that point in time. He's like, oh, that's really cool. And so I posted on Facebook and said, hey, Raygun, make my T-shirt. It was just like it was more uh, eloquent than that, but oh, it was right. basically that was the gist of it. Uh, and then I had a friend reach out and uh, she said, hey, my husband and I own a T-shirt company. We can help you make the T-shirt. And I was like, all right, cool. So we had a black and white design of the 50 percent black, 50 percent white, 100 percent over racism. And that's what I thought it was going to be. And we uh, put out a little order form. She did all this work from her end. Um, her name's Rebecca. Uh, she and her husband live in Nebraska, but we went to high school together. And so they did all the work and they said, all right, let's uh, say June 21st is going to be the deadline. Get your orders in. And the orders just kind of blew up. It was just like a lot of people jumped on board like, hey, this is great. I'm going to get one for my kid. I'm going to get one for whoever. And so then... There were some other ideas that popped in. I was like, okay, well, what if we just create shirts for everybody? Like, let's go 100% uh, black, 100% white, 100% or uh, we didn't want to get too much into breaking things down to 25%. So then we were like, my ancestry is complicated, but my stance is not. And so we started to come up with little sayings and little quotes. And I wasn't making any money off of the initial t-shirts because the person that was helping me, Rebecca, her company was actually almost losing money. So anything that we made was just going back to her. And then I said, okay, what if we bump up the price by $5 and instead of selling it at cost, let's sell it for $5 more. And then I need to find an organization to donate to. I put it out on Facebook again and uh, Lanisha Cassell from the African American Museum said, the African-American Museum. So then I said, all right, proceeds are going to the African-American Museum of Iowa. And we raised, I think at that point in time, we had raised like 800 bucks for them in a very short amount of time. Uh, and then I kind of kept that ball rolling and just said, let's make this whole thing about raising money for black owned businesses or businesses that support the black community, the brown community, the biracial community. That was kind of the focus at that point in time. And then things still started to snowball. I had a friend reach out and he said, hey, what if I redesign your website? And I was like, okay, well, what's that gonna cost me? Well, I just am getting back into this work, so let me do it for free. Okay. And I always knew that I did not want to do what I had done in the past and done so poorly. When I had my nonprofit dance company, I would order 100 shirts. And then I'd go, who would want shirts? And then 10 people would buy shirts and I had a box of shirts. So I was like, okay, I need to find a third party company that will print on demand so I don't have to worry about inventory and shipping. And so he helped me set all of that stuff up. Uh, I had talked to my friend Rebecca and said, hey, listen, I'm gonna go in a different route with this. Thank you for everything that you've done. She sent me all of the designs uh, and was able to utilize those and then kind of move forward with more designs at that point in time. And we got the website that you see today. Uh, and everything has still been 
snowballing forward in a really good way, still making very little profit, giving back as much as I can, still paying some of those web maintenance fees and bills that are associated with uh, running this. And uh, we've partnered with some amazing people. We have a couple uh, campaign shirts that are out there for Amara Andrews, who's running for mayor of Cedar Rapids, uh, Tamara Marcus, who is running for a city council seat. Uh, we partnered with the Eastern Iowa Health Center and did custom shirts for them. And we are open to doing that with other organizations. We're wanting this to not be a Cedar Rapids thing. We want this to be as big as possible. We just partnered with a consulting company called The Undone Movement uh, that is doing a summer book study and getting into schools and kind of undoing a lot of the teaching and talking about critical race theory and uh, the uh, blinking 1619 project, stuff like that, right. like trying to say, we've been taught so much stuff that's wrong. We need to undo our way of learning before we can move forward. And so we did some t-shirts for them and I were donating back to their organization. So yeah, it's been, uh, a great thing and it's been awesome to kind of sit back and see things happen but then there's also the negative side of things which we just recently found out that somebody else has been stealing our designs verbatim like 50% black 50% white 100% of a racism and selling them so now we're in this place of going, okay, well, we need to raise some money so we can trademark our logos. We need to trademark both of our logos and protect our brand so we can continue giving back to other people. Because it's right, sad right. that somebody's going to attempt to take it and use it for profit for them and take away from us being able to use it for what we intended it for, which is to help other people. So, Thank you. Uh, out of curiosity, too, because um, I... Th I th just backing up, I think the first shirt of yours that I saw, I think I saw the my ancestry is complicated, but 100% over racism. And 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 that framing really resonated with me. Uh, I'm just kind of curious about wearing the shirts, like what types of conversations does it provoke? Does it open conversation? And I know we, we've talked a little bit sometimes that because there is 100% white, 100% over racism, yeah. And that one at the surface sometimes might feel like it's it's more like supremacist rather than right. than allyship. But do you yep. do you mind talking about like some of the conversations or, or what you've learned since you launched on that front? Absolutely. I'll actually go uh, in reverse because I was wearing the black version of the 50 percent black, 50 percent white shirt yesterday and was at 30 hop. And as I walked in to uh, meet my girlfriend and her friends, there was a guy at the bar who kind of turned his head and looked at me and then did a double take. And as I passed him, he looked again and I was like, oh, my shirt. But then we're sitting there and about five minutes later, he came up and he goes, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just have to say, I really love your shirt. Thank you. And shook my hand. And it's moments like that that make it completely worthwhile because there are times where you will look at somebody and you will just make judgments. You will pass judgments, you will assume stereotypes, and we all do it. And it's just part of our human nature and being able to uh, see it and call it out is a really good thing. But in that moment, I think I did the same thing. Like this guy is in this button up shirt. He's a you know white guy that looks you know well put together. I would have never thought that he would have been the person to come up and like thank me for the shirt that I was wearing. And so I have to get 
I have to undo some of my stuff too because those moments are amazing when they happen and then I was able to go yeah we have a ton of shirts for allies and supporters jump on our website so those things happen on a regular basis and I hear stories from other people who wear our products that the same thing happens and a lot of people will ask well why 100% over racism and I explain to them this way if I'm over the behavior that my kids are exhibiting I have to figure out a way to change that, to fix that. I'm not going to gloss over it or look past it. I'm going to try to find a remedy, a solution. And part of that is like the Undone uh, movement is doing, which is undoing some of the learning and going, okay, that's not the way that we need to react in that situation. Here's a better way. Here's how we have the conversation and move things forward. Uh, in regards to the 100% white shirt, that honestly, it was our best seller. And I think it's because on the surface, it was very innocent. And it wasn't until people got to seeing images of it on social media that they then started attacking and going, well, that doesn't sound right because if you're 100% white and you're saying you're 100% over racism, it's like you are saying it shouldn't be a thing. Like you just want it to be gone. Like why are we still talking about it? And that allows in that moment for somebody to have a deeper conversation, but only if they feel comfortable. At that right. point in time, it was the daughter of uh, a local business owner, Steve Shriver, who had ordered the shirt and she posted a picture holding the shirt and a little blurb about, can't wait to wear my shirt. And she was like, there were people attacking her. And I don't think that she needed to be the person to say, hey, that's not what it's about. So other people jumped on and defended her and it was great to see it, but it's just sometimes sad that people don't go to the source. None of these people that have said anything negative about it have actually tried to contact us. I would love, I have the bandwidth, so I would love to have these conversations. I would love to say, here's why I started it. A lot of people just make these assumptions. Uh, and honestly, I we got to the point where we just started going, okay, we need to just do as inclusive as possible designs. So that's when we started to do my ancestry is complicated, um, but my stance is not. Uh, we started to, there, you know, just an ally shirt, just little things like that. So we are representing as many people as possible instead of singling people out because there are some people that are like, well, I don't want to wear a shirt that says what my ethnic or my racial identity is. I just want to say that I'm 100% over racism. And we hadn't done just a 100% over racism shirt yet. So then we started doing that. So there's a lot of things from the outside that influenced the way that we moved forward with a lot of things. But then it also didn't make sense if a shirt was selling really well to take that shirt away because then that was more money that we could give to organizations. So thank you. Like, yeah, it's a, it's an ongoing, uh, uh, circle of learning and growing and understanding how to move the conversation forward in the best way possible. I really do. I, I really appreciate you you walking me through that and talking about it it as a provocation for conversation because uh, I could see, you know, the hundred percent over is like I'm done with it, right? Which you know, coming from from kind of a, a, a white privilege standpoint, it's like yeah, I. I I don't even want to deal with that or be bothered rather than I want to be above this. I want us all to get to, to rise over this. And uh, so I, I appreciate that quite a bit. 
Uh, want to ask you in general, as a creative, as a craftsperson, uh, in all of your different pursuits, do you ever feel stuck creatively? And if you do, what are your tips and techniques for getting unstuck? I feel I feel stuck all the time. It is a daily thing for me. And normally what I do is I do something different. So if I'm stuck in the choreography world, I write. If I'm stuck with writing, I'll play drums. If I, you know, it's like I try to, I, I like to refer to myself as a jack of all trades and a master of none. Like I'm just good enough to get by with a lot of different things. And other people will look at me and go, no, you're really good at a lot of things. But, you know, we're our own worst critics. So I, I think that I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none. But I also look at that as I'm not a master of it because there's never ending learning that needs to take place. I have a learner spirit. I want to continue to grow. If there's something I don't know, I want to figure it out. I want to keep moving forward in all my creative endeavors. I would have never thought that I would have a collection of poetry, but I figured out how to self-publish. I reached out to a friend that I actually, she was in my class at the University of Iowa probably seven years ago, and she had put out a book and I said, how did you do that? Tell me what you know the steps are. And she pointed me in all the right directions. And some of the formatting stuff I even kind of mimicked after what she did in order to have this nice finished product. Um, so I'm constantly trying to learn and trying to grow and allowing that learning and growth to also inspire and encourage other people. And I tell people on a regular basis, if you don't know how to do something, ask somebody who's done it. Because there are more people, in my opinion, that are wanting to help you than are wanting to hurt you. And you won't know if they're willing to help until you ask them. In the worst case scenarios, they say, no, but actually you know who would be really great at helping you. And they will point you in the right direction. I've never found any walls. I've found some hurdles, but I've never found a moment where I was just met with complete... uh, defense and uh, spirit of, I don't have the time for you. People are so willing to help. But I think that we have this mindset of, I have to figure it out on my own. No, don't figure it out on your own. Use resources that are close to you or get crazy and reach out to somebody that you look up to. I've heard so many stories of somebody going, I reached out to so-and-so and they responded. I've reached out to some spoken word poets and said, hey, I love this piece. Would you mind if I read it at an open mic? And they responded with, absolutely. If you record it or anything else, just make sure that you credit me. And it was as simple as that. It was a message. It was less than five minutes of typing something up and making sure that I wasn't doing anything grammatically incorrect in that message. Because that's the worst when you send something. You're like, oh, my gosh, I just spelled that word wrong or I left out a period. But that's also a me thing. I'm all about (laughs) having people prove for me. So, uh, yeah, and you had mentioned your your poetry book. Just want to touch on that a little bit here. So Paper Planes is the name of it. it yes. Talk to me about kind of the the inspiration and the even what sits behind the name. So the name actually comes from the idea of pencil to paper, trying to scribble out an idea, crumpling it up, throwing it in the wastebasket. 
We don't necessarily live in a world where we do that because most of my writing is actually done in my notes on my phone, but I just kept having that idea. Uh, And so then when you unfold something to look back at it, there's an idea that's actually wonderful, but whatever headspace you were in at that moment. So then you try to crease it back out and you can still make a paper plane out of it. It might not fly as well as it once did, but that doesn't mean it won't work. Uh, And so that's kind of the concept behind paper planes. And one of the pieces in there was actually about uh, my marriage, which ended in divorce. And it was this idea of searching for a co-pilot and not feeling like I necessarily was the best co-pilot for her at that time in our lives and vice versa. I felt that there were things that were lacking. We have two wonderful kids out of that relationship and My desire is for those kids to know that we both love them so incredibly much and we will do everything in our power to make our relationship, the two of us, as good as we can in order for it to be good for them. And so that piece kind of explores that um, in the sense of there are times where maybe the plane shouldn't have taken off, but I'm glad that it did because of what we got out of it, which was these two amazing boys. That's great. Thank you. Uh, just as we we start to get to the end of our conversation uh, today, one of the topics I'd love to cover with folks is the notion of advice. Uh, and I feel like there's actually been a lot of good advice that you've had woven throughout, even like just ask, what's the worst that somebody could do, right? right. Say no, but they usually help or point you in a direction. But um, what I've found in these conversations that I that I've been lucky enough to have with, with people like yourself is uh, sometimes a form of advice might be something that uh, a wise elder said to us, uh, which then usually we're a little too uh, cocky as a kid. Uh, and it, it sounds like nonsense, but as we get older, we realize, wow, that was, that was pretty wise. And it was an elegant kind of payload of information that they had. Uh, sometimes it's advice that we might give. And then I steal from Austin Cleon, who says, when we give advice, we're talking to our younger self. Uh, so any advice, good advice you've received in your life or, or uh, advice you wish you would have received? Oh, such a hard question. Um, yeah, I think that I think that what we already touched on about asking for help, I wish I would have done that at a much earlier age. There are moments where my mom was right there and I probably never once asked her for the type of help that I actually needed. It was always, hey, mom, can I borrow some money? As opposed to, hey, mom, can you help me work through this thing that I'm struggling with? Um, I think that as a creative, but even even non-creatives, there needs to be more of a connection with our emotions and that can only be done if you do the work. There is this, you know, a lot of people think that guys are way more disconnected from their emotions than women, which in some cases is definitely true, in other cases is not true. I've met women who are pretty disconnected from their emotions and can compartmentalize very easily. And I've struggled. And so as an adult, I think the best piece of advice I can give is seek counseling. I think that having an unbiased person to bounce things off of is amazing because oftentimes you don't necessarily feel that the people around you will give you an honest answer. 
they're going to sometimes give you what they think you want to hear. Whereas this person, whoever your counselor is, is not going to say things, hopefully not, or else find a different counselor, is hopefully not going to say things just to um, placate you. Mm-hmm. They're not going to just pacify you. Hopefully they're going to ask the questions and move that dialogue along in a way that helps you learn and grow how to be better. So I would highly, highly, highly recommend counseling for anybody and everybody. Um, and then the other piece of advice, <laughs> I just heard uh, Shakira from Zootopia try everything. There's this song and at the end of it, she says try everything. But it's true, I'm the type of person where I would much rather try something and fail at it and realize, yep, shouldn't do that anymore than not have tried it. And I mean literally everything from food to careers to whatever. There are a lot of times where we put up roadblocks in our own lives. Well, somebody else said that that's not good, so I I know that I won't like it. That is silly. Try it. Figure it out for yourself. Understand who you are as an individual, and that will help you grow so much. I I love that, and especially that you're talking about Zootopia and even even like trying everything with food, maybe more as a metaphor than just specifically. But one of the things my wife encourages our kids is you can always take a no thank you bite. But like take take if somebody offers you some, take a bite. And then if it's something not not your thing, just say, you know, no thanks or, or, or you know, thanks for thinking of me. Right. But it can really open up so many different potential horizons for you. And I just, uh, my son wrapped up sixth grade in, in our school system here in Iowa City. That's the end of elementary schools, right? So they, they do junior yeah. high rather than middle school. But uh, the, we had recorded teachers like kind of advice for the students as they were moving on. And uh, a couple of them were like, take advantage of junior high and try as much as you can, right? Because there's, there's so many new opportunities, right? You don't, is it athletics? Is it theater? Is it music? Is it, you know, all of, and all of these clubs that are available is get out there and, and give it a try, right? Try everything. Yep. Yeah. And I love that idea of the no thank you bite, because as you get older, you have bitten so off so many pieces and chewed it a little bit and understand when is the appropriate time to say no, because there are times where I've said yes to something knowing that it wasn't in my lane and I shouldn't have because yeah. then it's oh man, I have to do that again today at this time. And I am slowly getting better at those no thank you bites and going, you know what? I would love to help you out, but let me point you in the direction of somebody who is better suited for this age or this project or this. Yes, I would love to jump on this, but I know that my plate right now is pretty full and I don't need that extra bite. Yeah. LD, thank you so much. It, it has been a pleasure talking with you today. I want to thank you for all that you're doing uh, for the community and, and just also just selfishly thank you for taking the time to sit down with me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Matt. Have a great day. You as well.